I hit online and now there's an X. Is, are we good? We're, we're good. Just tell me if you see me, that's all. Rufner Alcabes. 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 Originally from Toronto, Canada, has been involved with Breslev teaching since 1989, having been close to several Breslev elders and teachers, including Rav Michael Dorfman and Rav Chaim Kramer, mm-hmm. who's very, who frequents our shul. That's good, right? Uh, he was able to absorb both, uh, from both the Breslev or Hasidim, that is, the oral teachings, along with the original Breslev books and sources. He has developed a special way, approach, and technique in learning, going with, and living the teachings of Rav Nachman, which he calls Breslev therapy, and is known for his ability to give over the deep emotional content of Rav Nachman's teachings with heartfelt compassion. He also works for the Breslev Research Institute in Yerushalayim. Thank you so much to Anonymous for hosting and sponsoring. Um, (laughs) And you look at somebody. (laughs) Uh, Also, thank you to Avram. Um, Avram Baer, Ben Chaya Rezel, and family for sponsoring. He's going to meet you. Beautiful. Thank you. Give this. Great. Shalom, everybody. It's good to be here. I think this is my second time. Baruch Hashem. In Woodmere. So the class is going to be divided into two parts. We're going to first go into, really three. We're going to go to a very special Gemara, and then the uh, elaboration from Rabbi Nachman's teachings and Rav Nosen's teachings, and then the Spitz will be the very end of the class of what's called the 40-day challenge, something very new, even though the concept has been around for 200 years, but in this format, we're hoping, Bezat Hashem, to bring Rabbi Nachman's light in such a way that people will begin to really, really connect on a more personal, intimate level to Rabbi Nachman's teachings and to have changes happen in their life, no matter what the scenario situation, because that is the power of tzaddikim Bezat Hashem. So we start off first with an amazing Gemara. So amazing that I think it's one of the places that the Maharsha on the Gemara, he points out that all the secrets of the Torah are hidden in the stories of the Gemara. It's, by the way, it's a known teaching that the Arizal was the one who opened up the Zohar to the world, the Kabbalah. What about the Midrash? The Midrash and the stories of the Torah. Mashiach will be the one to open up the secrets in the Midrashim and in the stories of the Talmud. To show you that they're on a higher standing, believe it or not. That's Mashiach's job, to open up in the stories of the Torah, the deeper secrets, Bezat Hashem. And Hasidut, and in particular Rabbi Nachman and Rav Nosin, they gave us already a foretaste of the depth found in the stories of the Talmud. This one story that we're going to, it's called The Wise Men of Athens. It's found in the Gemara called Masechet Bechorot, page 8b. is one of the most fascinating stories. If you are a reader, you will recall possibly from 30 years ago, Feldheim put out a book called The Juggler and the King where they had the Vilna Gaon's interpretations of the stories of the Talmud, who was also a master Kabbalist. He also went into secrets on this story also. We're going to present something that will hopefully blow your mind away. Hashem, <laughs> okay? The story is like this, okay? It's a, you can sit back, relax. It's a nice 
amazing story. Rabbi Shor ben Hananya, who, by the way, we just want to make uh, to clarify it. He is buried in Tzfat. Where in Tzfat? Below the the mikveh of the Arizal. If you know pretty well, I guess people do know Tzfat a little. There is mistakenly a place called the grave of Hoshea ben Be'eri, and Rav Chaim Bital says that's wrong. That is not Hoshea ben Be'eri. It's Rabbi Shua ben Hananya. It's located, there's like steps going down from the Arizal's mikveh. Here's the Arizal's kever, the mikveh. Below where it says Hanan or seven sons, the author of Chavot Adavavot, there is the kever of Yeshua ben Hananya. Who was he? He was called Chakima Dehuda'e, the wise man of the Jewish people. The, Rome of, the, the, the emperor of Rome really much liked him. He found favor in his eyes. He was one always sent as the delegation to Rome on behalf of the Jews in Eretz Yisrael to speak on their behalf, if it's to do Pidyon Shvuim, okay, all types of mitzvah to help the Jews out. He was the one, and he found favor in the eyes of the Roman Emperor. To the extent that the Roman Emperor also would like to shmooze with him and talk to him about all types of things. So once the Roman Emperor brought up to Rishu ben Hananya, he asked him, what is the gestation, pregnancy period of a snake? So Rishu ben Hananya said, seven years. So he says, it can't be. The wise men of Athens told me that it's three years. Rabbi Shubin Hananya said, that's not the case. The, the snake was already, already pregnant four years earlier. So then the emperor says, but we see that the snake continues to mate. And Rashi points out, what does that mean? It's a known fact that animals and chayot and behemot, once the female is pregnant, she doesn't mate anymore. Unlike human beings, which can continue. So Rishob ben says, in this, the snake is similar to the human, the human species, the human race, and that they continue to mate even after pregnancy. So not convinced, the emperor of Rome says, but they're smart, these wise men of Athens. They're not, they're not little people. So he said, I'm smarter than them. <laughs> I'm smarter than them. So he said, the emperor, prove it to me. How? I want you to bring them here. Because they were considered like untouchables. They were all the way in Athens and Greece, the emperor of Rome. Everybody was scared of them. And no one knew how to approach them, but they were known. And their danger also, of, of their cunningness, was also spread throughout the Roman Empire. So he said, bring them to me. That will prove to me that you are smarter. He said, how many are they? They're 60. So Rabbi Shobin Hananya thought, and he says, okay, I want you to prepare for me a ship with 60 rooms. And in each room, I want you to put 60 chairs. So he said, okay. Prepare from the ship. Rishu ben Hananya sailed with the ship to Athens. He got off in Athens and he starts asking people, please, can you direct me to the academy of the wise men of Athens? And he said, no, 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 we can't do that. We can't do that. No, no, it's dangerous. We're scared. Go ask, ask somebody else, not us. And he went around asking. Nobody wanted to, to show him. So he, he had an idea. He went to the local butcher shop and he asked the butcher, how much, and he was in the middle of carving an animal, cutting it into, into pieces of an animal. He asked the butcher, how much for your head meaning the head of the animal. So he said, half a zuz, that's the, that's the currency, half a zuz. So he said, he put the money on the, on the counter, and he said, okay, give me your head. So the butcher, you know, prepared the head of the animal and put it on the, on the table, on the counter. So Rabbi Shubha Hananya said, I said, your head. I didn't say the animal's head. I said, how much for your head? And they had a law there in Athens that you, this is a mekkah, this is already an actual... A confirmed business deal, a transaction. You can't go back. And he got, he was plotting the, the butcher. <laughs> what do you want from me? So he said, you want to get out of this? He said, yes. He said, show me the way to the entrance to the academy, the college of the wise men of Athens. He said, no, 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 I can't do that. 
they're going to kill me. If they find out that I revealed this to you, they're going to kill me. So Rishi Ben-Khanania said, I have a plan. Get a bundle of reeds, a bundle of reeds, roll it, put it on your shoulder, and I want you to walk and walk and walk, and I'll be following you far beyond, behind. When you get to the entrance, in front of the entrance of the Academy of the Wise Men of Athens, I want you to pretend that you're taking a break, that you're hot and schwitzing. Put down the bundle of reeds on the floor and pretend that like, you're taking a break. I will know, that's my sign, that this is the entrance to the Academy of the Wise Men of Athens. He said, okay. So he did that. He followed behind Rabbi Shubin Hananya, And the butcher did that. He, he put the bundle of reeds on the ground. He pretended that he was taking a break. And he continued, so he knew where to go. So he went in the entrance. At the entrance, he saw something interesting. Guards at the entrance of the threshold of the entrance to the college, and guards on the inside also. He understood that this is that no one is allowed to enter, and no one's allowed to leave. Anyone tries to leave. And the guards, he understood, Rav Shubin Khananya, that he had orders to kill anybody who goes completely through the threshold. Either way. So how, how do they know to identify if somebody went through their threshold? The wise men of Athens spread bran, subin, at the whole threshold of the entrance, because footmarks are very clearly noticeable on bran. When you're walking on bran, it's very noticeable. So they can see the direction of the footsteps if going into the academy, so the wise men of Athens would kill the guards outside for not doing a good job on, on, on guarding. And if there were footsteps going from the academy out, they would kill the guards inside. So what did Rabbi Shobin Hananya do? He switched his sandals backwards and he walked in up to the border of the threshold. And the guards were screaming, don't go because we have orders to kill you if you go through all the way. And they were warning him. And he was walking slowly with his shoes on backwards, his sandals backwards. He reached just the edge of the threshold and then he walked back in his footsteps and he waited to see what would happen. And lo and behold... The wise men of Athens, they had their group of doing, the entourage doing their, you know, observation of, of, of the guards to the entrance. And they see the footsteps, you know, leaving. Someone left. So they killed the guards on the inside. So in the meantime, there's no guards guarding from the inside to go out. Then when they left, the, the wise men of Athens, and there's still guards positioned outside. He switched again his sandals to be normal. And again, they, they obviously, they swept the... The, the brand, the footsteps in the brand to make it again clear and clean. And he went in again with normal footsteps up to the border again of the threshold. At that point he stopped and he walked back again in his footsteps and he was screaming, Don't, you know, we'll kill you if you go through all the way. And he didn't. He went through up to the threshold and back and he waited to see what would happen. And again, the wise men of Athens came for their, again, their, their, their tour to see what's happening and they, they saw footsteps going inside so they killed the guards outside. So in the meantime, the entrance is left without any guards Rabbi Shur ben went right in. He gets to the main hall of the wise men of Athens and he sees two stages, two levels, like a higher level, a higher level of, of, of the wise men seated who were all young and on the ground level were the older wise men of Athens. He saw that this was a trick. He, he, the trick was that if he would greet first the older wise men of Athens who are older but they're located on the, on the ground level the ones on top says that's beneath our dignity. We're on the top. And they would have him killed. And if he would greet the, 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 the younger ones on top, the older ones would say, but we're older. So what did he do? He got the trick. He said, Shalom Aleichem. <laughs> he said, Shalom to all of you. 
They said to him, what do you want? Who are you? He says, I am the wise man of the Jewish people, Yoshua ben Kanani, and I, I've come to learn from you. He said, oh really? We have a few questions to ask you. He said, very well. If in our challenge you win me, so you can do with me as you wish. But if I win in our debate, I ask all of you to come and eat bread, break bread with me on my ship. They said, okay. So they challenged him about 12 types of questions. Very funny. We'll go into one of them. Okay. The one we're going to is the following. They asked him, where is the center of the universe? He raised his finger and he said, right over here, Zak, the wording in the Gemara, Zakfa etzba'ata. He raised his finger and he said, Hacha, right over here. They said to him, Mi Emar, who says? Who says you're right? Here's the center of the universe. So he answered, Bring Aitu Ashle Umoshu. Bring a measuring tape and measure. You'll see that I'm right. Okay? This is funny. Another example how funny and silly on the, on the Pshat level is they brought him two pieces of cheese. They said to him, Can you please tell us? which cheese comes from a white goat and which cheese comes from a black goat. So he brought two eggs and he says, first you tell me which comes from a white hen which comes from a black hen. Okay. Those are examples. There's another 12, 10 examples of that. He won all the challenges. And they said, okay, you won. We're going to eat bread with you on your, on your ship. So he led them to his ship. Right before they left the terrain, the earth, he had a, he had a sack with him that he brought with him, Rabbi Shubin Hananya. And he filled it with earth from sand from, from Athens and he put it in the bag and he closed it and he kept it with him. And then he led the wise men one after the, one after the next, one at a time. And each one went into a separate room. So the first one he put in the first room. He says, sit here. He closed the door. The guy sees 59 empty chairs. So what does he assume? Ah, my comrades are coming soon. So he's waiting and waiting. And in the meantime, he's getting bored because no one's coming. The second guy, he puts in the second room. And he says, wait here. And he says, also 59 chairs, assuming they're all going to be here also. So he's waiting and getting bored and getting like lethargic and getting out of it. Okay? And that's how it was for all the 60 rooms. After they're all on the ship, each one in one room, he told this, the, the, the captain, okay, let's set sail. Let's go. Go to Athens. Let's go to Rome. So they went on the sea, right? The Mediterranean. They got to, to, they arrived towards Rome. Right before they reached Rome, the ship passed what's called an eddy, Bay Blue. It's like a tornado in the, in the sea. Okay, sucking up everything. And the ship just barely passed the edge of the eddy and did not get swallowed up by the tornado in the sea. And at that point, Rabbi Shubin Hananya saw an image above the sea. He saw an image of hands on the head, a second image of hands on the heart, and a third image of hands behind the back. At that point, he took a jug an empty jug, he lowered himself along the edge of the ship as the ship was passing the eddy, he lowered himself of the jug and filled up from the water content of the eddy, not the regular seawater, but the water that was in the whirlwind was able at the edge of it to take some water in the jug and bring it back with him up onto the ship. The ship passed the eddy, arrived to Rome. He brought the 60 wise men who were at that point very submitted and very like uh, heavy and drained. Like on a, like, you know, stoned. So he brought them in front of the Roman emperor and he says, here are the 60 wise men. He says, these are not them. Look at them. They're like little, little, little helpless guys. What is this? So he said, don't worry. He took out the sack with the earth that he took from Athens. 
and he sprinkled it on their faces of the 60 wise men of Athens. They smelled the scent of their homeland, the earth of their homeland. They woke up and they started again acting like big Balgaiveniks, aristocratic and haughty and acting, you know, like big shots. So the emperor says, yeah, these are, these are the 60 wise men of Athens. Now I want you, Rabbi Shubin Hanania, to kill them. I want you to do away with them. So he said, okay. He said, bring me a cistern, an urn. They brought him an urn, a cistern. He poured the water from the jug that he had from the water content of the eddy. He poured it into the cistern and he told them, you want to be free? No problem. I'll let you go. But on one condition, you fill this cistern up with water. They said, no problem. What's the problem? So they brought barrels, they bought buckets of water and he started pouring it into the cistern. However, the water that was inside already from the eddy just kept on swallowing up any water they put in. And they couldn't figure this out. This is totally irrational. They brought new buckets of water and it was being swallowed up by the water that was inside from the eddy beforehand and there was nothing in the system. They're looking in, they said, where's the water? They said, this doesn't make sense. This is absolutely crazy. And they kept on pouring buckets and buckets of water until they all passed out and died from exhaustion because they couldn't accept it. They said, this doesn't make sense. They kept on doing it. They could have said, you know, we can't do this, we can't do this. But they didn't chicken out. They kept on trying to pour in buckets until they were all killed. This is the Gemara. Okay? Obviously, there are very, very deep secrets. We'll go into a few of them as Rav Nossin develops them. Rav Nossin and the Kuti Alachot, Rav Nachman's disciple, he opens up this story very much. Why? Rabbi Nachman, like we said, or I didn't say yet, sorry, in the Kuti Moran, there are a group of lessons from lesson 23 of the Kuti Moran until lesson 31. Each lesson is dedicated to open up one of the challenges between the wise men of Athens and Rabbi Shabin Hananya. Okay? And after Rabbi Nachman revealed these secrets based on the story, Rabbi Nachman himself said it would be fitting to explain the entire story. And Rav Nosson said, I understood from Rabbi Nachman, he, w- he wished to have done so, and it did never happen. Rabbi Nachman passed away at age 38, and that never took place. Rav Nosson felt that Rabbi Nachman hinted to him that it's worthwhile to open it up. And Rav Nosson says, I will attempt, based on the teachings that I received from Rabbi Nachman, to open up the entire story, which he did. He explains every detail. It's totally, it's the, 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 the entire story is translated into English. You can find it in the Breslov Research Institute translation of the Likute Moran, volume 4, at the very back. You have the whole story, plus Rav Nosin's commentary translated into English. You can see there. I'm just going to bring a few points from the story which really uh, st- stick out and protrude. This idea that Rabbi Shibin Hananya switched his sandals backwards, okay? So he explains that the idea of the sandal corresponds to the same concept of Moshe Rabbeinu when he went up on the mountain where there was the burning bush. What did Hashem tell him? Shal na'alecha me'al raglecha. Take off your shoe. Okay, take off your shoes, Moshe Rabbeinu, because ke'admat kodeshu. This is holy soil. You can't be standing with your shoe. That's the simple meaning. The Zohar says on shal na'alecha, what is the, na, the, the shoe? Da iteta. This is the wife, the woman. In other words, the, the sexual temptations Moshe Rabbeinu, you want to stand here? You have to be totally, totally refined. You have to be a complete tzaddik in order to stand here. So I'm ordering you to take off your shoes, which means I want you to work on maximum sanctification of yourself, which is what happened with Moshe Rabbeinu, as we know. He reached the, being the top, top level of being a tzaddik in holiness, right? So the idea of a sandal switching is the idea of working on one's midot and temptations in this area. 
Rabbi Nachman gives an analogy to this in his book, Chaim Oran Tzadik. He says you have two types of tzaddikim. You have a tzaddik who is a tzaddik, yeah? But you have a higher tzaddik who is called a complete tzaddik. This is a Gemara in Masechet Brachot. It's what's called the tzaddik gamur, a complete tzaddik. What's the difference? Is a regular tzaddik, when he's faced with a test, he might chicken out. He might get afraid, oh my God, this, that. Even though he's a tzaddik, but he's worried about what's called averot shebeado, sins that he may have done in the past. And he did tshuva, but he's, not, he's worried he wasn't a complete tshuva on this. He's worried about a, t- a test coming his way. Whereas a tzaddik gamur is not afraid of anything. And Rabbi Nachman compares two levels, these two levels, like tanned leather. For example, you buy a brand new wallet, like you buy something leather, you smell it, ah, it has the smell of the, of the leather still. But when you work at leather more and more and more, you can reach a point where there's no more scent of the leather. So too, there are tzaddikim, there are mamash tzaddikim, but they still have a scent of their physicality, of their physical temptations. It's still there, even though it's minimum, they're tzaddikim, but you can still smell their, their attraction, and because of that, they put up a big defense not to be tested. That's why they're tzaddikim, because they're always putting up walls not to fall into tzaddikim, but if they would, there are chances that they would fall, but they hold on. A complete tzaddik, he's so clean, he says, you can test me inside out, I'm not afraid. I'm not afraid of anything. Okay? So going back to Rishman Hananya, when he saw these soldiers standing in front of him, preventing him from entering the college of the wise men of Athens, he says, this must be, because I'm still not a complete tzaddik, there's much more to work on. So his switching his sandals, his idea that Rabbi Shimon Hananya worked more on his midot, because what happens is, when a tzaddik works on himself, it's an amazing rule in life and in, in Judaism and in the Torah. When a person works on himself, the bad falls by itself, automatically. He didn't have to even touch them, nothing. He worked on his midot, he switched his sandals, the sandal of Moshe Rabbeinu, Shandalech. He worked on his Kedushat Abrit, his, his, his purity in the covenant, and automatically the enemies were killed. That's the killing of the one guards, that's the idea that was able to go in, untouched, unscathed, and the enemies were killed by, not, no, he didn't kill them, he didn't shoot them, he didn't do anything. On their own, they, they were killed by themselves, by the wise men of Athens, okay? And he saw that there's still guards outside. That's only half of the guards. So he switched again his sandals. The idea of switching constantly the sandals is the idea of a tzaddik working on himself again and again. If I see more enemies, ah, I have to work on myself more. So there's levels of working on myself until he so totally sanctified himself that they were all gone. No more guards, no more enemies standing in front of his way to face the evil itself. These are the guards you know, attacking as the prerequisite, the preliminary attack before the actual enemy, he was able to subdue them by just working on himself. That's this idea. That's the idea of a tzaddik, that he can work on himself at such a high level, the enemy falls down by himself. He doesn't have to do anything even. Okay? That's this idea. Uh, we can go into a little bit about the idea of the, the cistern. That's very interesting. You know, the water that's swallowing up. Rav Nosin explains, this is the lust for money. The lust for money is never quenched, is never satisfied. The Gemara, someone who has 100, wants 200, someone who has 5 million, wants 10 million, you're never quenched, never satisfied, right? So they kept on pouring in the water, it wouldn't fill up. That's the idea. The, the, the lust for money is like the water from the eddy that it just swallows up, swallows up. person says, you know, when I reach my million, then I'll go sit down and learn, I'll move to Eretz and everything, and it never happens. The guy's like, this gets cut up, and this, and that, all this new business offer, and this, and everything to drive a person 
sidetracked and nuts that he can't focus on his goal. This idea of the temptation of money. What we want to go into tonight is the exchange between the challenge between the wise men of Athens and Rabbi Shubin Hananya. This is the focus of the class now. They said to him, Where is the center of the universe? Yeah. Shalom Aleichem? Yeah, it's Shalom to all of you. Because there was a trick. Because if you would say just Shalom to the ones on top, the ones in the below would kill him. They say, you, are, you said Shalom to them and not to us. And you say Shalom. It's in, it's in the book. <laughs> I, don't, I didn't prepare myself to go into this detail because I want to focus on the other ones. You can see the whole story there. I don't know since a commentary on that. Okay? Let's go into the story again, the challenge. He's, they said to him, where is the center of the universe? And again, he raised his finger and he said, right over here. They said to him, prove it. Who says? And he said, bring a measuring tape and you'll see for yourselves. So Rabbi Nachman explains like this. In lesson 24 of the Kutimaran, is totally dedicated to this exchange. Emtsa'uta de alma, the center of the world, meaning the infinite light. The infinite light is a term we coin Hashem, blessed be He, as being the infinite light who is totally inaccessible, yet it is the nature of everybody to run after it, to explain. The, what pushes people to do something, to have an ambition and to advance, is there's a light in their life sh shining to them, giving the direction. This applies also in the world of Torah, as a Jew, a from Yid, but also even by the Goim and in the secular world, everyone has an ambition, which is basically a light shining to them. You know, you're going to do this, you become a football player, you can become a movie star, something that pushes them forward. This light... That, that gives them the direction that they want to take in life is emanating from the infinite light. We see this in the numerical value of the word for light in Hebrew itself. The word is or, light. Or, Aleph, Vav, Resh is Gematria 207, right? Aleph is 1, Vav 6, Resh is 200, 207. That is the exact same numerical value for Ein Sof, the infinite one. Ein Sof also, 1 plus 10 plus 50 plus 60, plus 6, plus 80, is also 207. Meaning, everybody in life receives shefa, chayut, life and nourishment from the infinite light. Even though Hashem's infinite light is totally inaccessible, it's like there's a light shining, and there's like a barrier, and then this world. And the light I'm getting in my functionability in day-to-day -day living and my push, whether it's to get up in the morning to a davening, Right, whether it's to, to chat, tackle the Gemara that I want to learn, the Torah, the mitzvah that I want to do, the family I want to build, the ambition I have for doing something which is productive in life, it's light. Where is it coming from? The infinite light. Even though there's a barrier, and then afterwards you have light shining into this world, and I don't see the connection, yet it's coming from the infinite light. They asked him, the center of the universe, which is basically the infinite light, that is the center of the universe, where is it? Meaning, how can I connect to it? How can I connect to it? It's something which is unreachable. He answered by raising his finger. He said, right over here, Zakfa Etzbata. He raised his finger and said, through this. Rabbi Nachman interprets here as meaning, through the concept of the fingers, which are the hands. He explains, Rabbi Nachman, that the hands are the source of blessing, bracha. We see that for the classic example, is Birkat Kohanim, the blessings of the Kohanim in the Shul, right? 
it says in the Pasuk in Parashat Shmini, Vayisa Aharon et Yadav, Vayvarechem, Ela'am Vayvarechem. Aaron raised his hands towards the nation and blessed them. The Gemara learns from this Pasuk all the laws of Birkat Kohanim, that the, the, the Kohen has to extend his hands. If he doesn't extend his hands, he can't do, if he doesn't have hands, if he, God forbid he has hands chopped off, Chas Shalom Kohen, he can't do Birkat Kohanim. It's a mum, it's a blemish, and there's no hands. We need the hands there, okay? The hands are associated with blessing. The Zohar explains like this. Hashem designed the human hand, even the feet, but what's going to the hand, with ten fingers. The ten fingers correspond to the ten utterances that Hashem issued in creating the world. And the Lord said, let there be light. The Lord said, let there be parashat bereshit. And also, on the deeper level, the ten svirot, which are the channel of all blessing and abundance. The Zohar says something phenomenal. That whenever a Jew raises his hands, as soon as a person raises his fingers, the ten fingers are like pipelines. They're shaped like, like a tzinor. They're shaped like pipelines. As soon as a person raises their hands, it begins to activate the descent of the Shefa, the bounty from the ten svirot. Which is why the Zohar warns very much, never raise your hands empty-handed. In other words, if you ever raise your hands, let it be in a blessing and a prayer. But just to raise your hands like that. We're not talking about the Ramak explains. We're not talking about someone who's like exercising or working and you have to raise your hands. You have to get something on the top shelf and everything. We're not talking about that. So a person just without saying any prayer just decides to raise his hands. Even if you yawn, for example, then the Kubalim say, if you have to stretch yourself, always stretch yourself with your palms closed. Don't open the fingers. Because if you open the fingers, you activate drawing down Shefa. Now what happens is, if now it's not accompanied with a type of a prayer, so that the shefa coming down has what to rest on, if now it's without that, so automatically the bounty coming down goes to the klipot. We see that, that on the hands, on the other side we have what? The nails. What's the nails? The biggest impurity of the human body. Right in the morning, wake up, what, what do you do in Yiddish? Nagel vasar. Nagel vasar means washing the nails, okay? Because the impurity, the biggest impurity in the body is on the nails, right? So if a person opens his hands and lifts them and it's without accompanied with a prayer so it can be damaging. Why so much? Because the hands activate bracha. This is what Rabbi Shubh illustrated. He raised his finger to say here, through the concept of the hands which brings down bracha, Rabbi Nachman teaches bracha is the key to perceiving the infinite light. Which bracha? When a person... One second, sorry about that. When a person now asks for the real blessing, what is the real blessing? It's called Birkata Sechel, the blessing of intellect. The Zohar says, this is hinted to in the word Baruch, Baruch, Bet, Resh, Vav, Chaf. The Zohar says, stands for four words. Birchot, Rosh, that's Bet, Resh, Umekor, Vav, Kol, and the source of everything. That the main blessing is the blessing of the head, the mind, the intellect, Bechot Rosh, the blessing of intellect. And this automatically is the source for everything. This is in line with the famous Pirkevot that everybody knows, and the Gemara in the Darim, which is a song by, I think, Avram Fried, okay? That, the, first of all, the, not, not the song of Avram Fried, but the wording in Pirkevot is, Dat Kanita Machasarta, Dat Chasarta Makanita. If now you have acquired wisdom, you have everything. You're not lacking anything. And if you lack wisdom, then what do you have? Your beautiful house and Lamborghini, everything. If there's no dot, what do you have, right? And the song of Rafin is Dedabe Kulabe, right? That's the song in the, in the Dharm. That's in the words in the Dharm. And if you have with that, you have everything. And if you don't have it, then you're lacking everything. 
Okay? So, the main bracha is the bracha of intellect. Rabbi Nachman teaches that when a person has the blessing of intellect, this is the prerequisite to perceive the infinite light. So they said to him, Who says? Mi Yemar. Who says? So the word Yemar means, like in Hebrew, Mi Omer, who says? But the word Yemar is also etymologically similar to the word for Tmura, an exchange. Hamara. When you go to Israel, you have like an exchange called Hamarat Matbeah. Exchange of currency exchange. Hamara means an exchange. They said to him, To do that, to activate Bracha, of Sechel, a person first has to go down, down, down to the domain called the exchanged chambers. Hechalat Murot is a concept brought down in the Kabbalah, which is that this is the domain of the evil. What does that mean, the domain of the evil? They're called chambers of exchanges. How the Yitzhah works, his way to get a person ensnared and trapped in evil is by playing games on him, by tricking him. He's a trickster. The Yetzirah doesn't come just as like a Nazi and like Esau and Furi and all the guns. The Yetzirah comes, Rabbi Nachman teaches, with a big strimal, <laughs> big pierce. He comes from in the veld, in the world. He comes from an area that you are familiar with and you're acceptable to. And he'll come and play games from within the Kedusha. Because he knows that's the only way to get you. He won't get you if he's outright Esau. He won't get you. So how does the Yetzirah get a person? He plays games. He switches the truth with falsehood, the pure with the impure, the holy with the unholy, the right with the wrong. He plays games with your minds. It's like, you see that in life, that whenever you try to attempt to do something, all of a sudden, I should have done like this, I should have done like that, maybe I should have like this, all of a sudden this phone call, this person, oh, you just made me upside down, you just said this to me and I don't know what to do now. Always, like they say in English, dry mind cop, right? My head is this turning now by everything you told me. And now what happens when the Yetzirah, it's Yetzirah, by the way, doing that, is a person is, is, is watered down, his flame of ambition is now weakened and drained, and the person now is more out of it. Eh. He's, he's, lost, he's, he's lost his ambition and his fire to do something. Everything's just gone down. That's what the Yetzirah wants. He wants a person to, bring, to be brought down from their Simcha. When we say ambition and a, a push to go forward, it's because a person has simcha in what they're doing. If you don't have simcha in what you're doing, you don't do it. If you don't have simcha to get out of bed to go davening, you won't get up out of bed. What pushes the person to wake up in the morning on time and go davening is that he's happy in doing it. What pushes the person to get out of bed and go to work because he believes that this is the right thing to do and I, I'm positive about it. It's like he, last minute, I have to get out so I'll get out of bed and it, then he's forced to. And it's, it's out of, out of uh, it's against his will. But for a person to be ambitious and do something productive and being wanting to do it, it's a reflection that there's simcha in what he's doing. The Yetzirah, Rabbi Nachman teaches, Rabbi Nachman explains this, his main thing is to take away people's simcha, to get you that you shouldn't be happy anymore, and that's by making you frustrated and confused. This switching, this exchange of chambers, is to get a person just weighed down, oh, you know, the H with this, I can't do this anymore, let's, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm fed up, I can't anymore, whatever, whatever anymore, just let's do it and just get over with it. person loses his simcha and ambition to do things. That's what the Yetzirah is after. That's the Heichal the exchange of chambers. So going back to the story, they asked him, Mi Yemar, who says? Meaning what? In order to reach the level of bracha, which is the bracha intellect, 
Rabbi Nachman teaches you have to first, the prerequisite for that is you have to go all the way into the depths of the evil forces, the klipo, the exchange chambers, and extract the holiness trapped there, which is only done through simcha. So he said, that the, the wise man of Athens asked Rabbi Shubin Hananya, who can do that? Who has the courage to go into the exchange chambers and activate joy and come out? So, yeah, so yeah, who could do that? And by going to the exchange chambers, when we say releasing, we're looking to release what's called holy sparks. This is a bit of a depth, but the Arizal explains our whole purpose in this world is we're here to collect holy sparks. There's holiness trapped in this world. This world is called olam. The word olam in Hebrew is similar to the word for halama, a concealment. This world is a game. It's like the matrix, if you want to say. What's the game here? There's hidden holiness trapped everywhere. Everywhere. How do we elevate the holiness trapped? By doing mitzvot. The word for mitzvah itself, you have mem tzaddik, vav hey. So the, the Kabbalists, they teach, I think it's the Ramak, or the Ramchal, that the word mitzvah corresponds to the, we have mem tzaddik vav hey. The vav hey in mitzvah is from yud ke vav ke. Okay? What's mem tzaddik? Mem tzaddik is also yudke. There's what's called atbash. Atbash is a type of uh, numerical value system where we take the 22 letters of the Hebrew alphabet and we fold them to make it 11 on one side and the other 11. So that the first letter, Aleph, is now corresponding to when you fold it to the Tav. The Bet is to the, the Sheen. The Gimel is to the Resh. Okay? So it's folded. Fine? In that case, when it's like that, Mem turns out to be Yud and Tzaddik turns out to be K. So you have Yud Kevavke hidden in the mitzvah. What does that mean? That when you're doing a mitzvah, you're reconnecting to the mitzvah by saying a bracha on a food, or a Talmud Torah, or tzitzit, any mitzvah, even those which are from the Rabbanan, anything that's associated with being a mitzvah, you're now connecting the, the holiness trapped back to Hashem. The holiness trapped is refer, referred in the Vav Hey, that's why it's revealed. Mem Tzadik, Yud K is referring to the Ein of the infinite light, which is inaccessible in this world. That's why it's covered up in the Mem Tzadik of a mitzvah. But you should know and believe, the Zohar teaches, that when you're doing a mitzvah, this is scary to say this, but it's unbelievable, you're actually coming in contact to Hashem. When you're doing a, it says, the Zohar says, Oraita Yisrael v'kutshabrichu kol achad. The Torah, the Jewish people, and the Torah were all one. When you're holding a mitzvah, you're holding what's called Elokut, godliness. That means you're holding a piece of Hashem that's connecting to the God. By doing the mitzvah, I'm now doing a mitzvah, this is my connector back to Hashem. That's what we're here for. Okay? So now, they asked him, who now has the audacity to go to the domain of the evil? Because the only way to elevate holiness is that we are exposed to this world, to the challenges of this world, and yet succeed in elevating the holiness, which is through doing mitzvot. So they said to him, to do that is not safe. Most of the people in the world, they don't succeed in doing mitzvot and elevating the holiness because they get weighed down by the sadness and depression in the world. Sadness and depression in the world is the biggest, uh, what you say, the opposite of the mitzvot. Where do we see that? Coming up, Parashat Kitavo, where it says 98 curses. Moshe Rabbeinu lists 98 curses over there. And it says all these curses, terrible things. You're going to eat your children, all these crazy things, right? And what does it say there? All this is coming to you. Okay? All this is happening. It doesn't say all the time because you didn't serve Hashem, period. No. 
It says, You got that? That the simcha is the key for being able to properly do mitzvah. There's no simcha, you can't do the mitzvah. So they said to him, Miyemar, who has the courage to go into this world and elevate mitzvah, which you need simcha. So he answered them, I too, Ashley Omoshchu. You yourselves are going to bring us back. What does this mean? I too. The, tra- the literal translation is bring a measuring cord and you'll see. Umoshchu and measure. But Rabbi Nachman opens it up like this I to you, you the wise men of Athens who represent evil. <clears throat> Ashle, Ashle means a cord. The Jewish people are called Chevel Nachalato. We're called the cord of Hashem. Why are we called the cord of Hashem? Because Am Yisrael has a strong triple folded cord foundation called Avraham, Yitzchak, and Yaakov. We have a strong foundation. We're a cord. We're strong. You can't, you can't break us. When you have a triple cord, it's very strong. Okay, we're tripled. We are based on Avraham, Yitzhak, and Yaakov. We're the Jewish people. You, Rav Shubin Chania said to the wise men of Athens, you guys are going to bring us out of the exile. Okay? Ashley, you will bring, Aitu, you'll bring the Jewish people who are called the Chevel, the rope of Hashem, out of the exile, Umoshchu, and you'll be totally destroyed. You, the Klippot, the evil forces, will be destroyed because that's what's going to happen in the future. All these prophecies in the book of Isaiah and Yemiyahu and Yecheskel of the Simcha that's going to be in the future, Ki Simcha Tetzeu, right? All these verses about the joy that's going to be and the enemies will be obliterated at the time. So he answered them that the joy of the future, that's the point, because he mentioned something that's going to be, the joy of the future is what a Jew can connect to today to help him come out. Rav Nosen explains something phenomenal. Is that the key, what's, what's coming out of all this, all this happens when a Jew is besimcha. But the big question mark is, how can I be besimcha? Look at the challenges of life. Look what I'm going through. How do you expect me to be besimcha when all these things are crashing on me in my life? I, to be happy doing a mitzvah, I need to have initial happiness. Where do I get it from? So Rav Nosen says here, we have to borrow the joy from the future. This is something phenomenal. That when you're going through darkness, and you, how can I do a mitzvah b'simcha? How? Look at all these things. You have to look elsewhere to activate joy, and not to run away from your problems and your challenges. No, I take now a higher level of energy joy, and now I can face my present day challenges, and deal with them with the joy that I got from a higher level. So he says, again, the answer is, I will borrow simcha from the future. Okay? Rav Nosen in this opens up an amazing lesson in psychology. And he says, basically, that if now a Jew works on simcha as the key, this will create opportunities that didn't exist. This will be the opening. Phenomenal. Just we'll bring an analogy. I've, I've said this many times in classes if you heard the recording, but it's such a cute story. That, and the message is so nice, we have to go over it again. And anyways, you guys are new people. You haven't heard it. There's a story of Rav Zusha and his brother, the high legger Rav Elimelech, okay? They arrived in a village incognito. There was a time they were hidden tzaddikim. They had to do whatever they had to do. And they, they, to do that, they had to go dressed as regular people. No one knew who they were. They came to a village that had a curfew at 9 p.m. Anybody who was out on the streets after 9 p.m. was arrested. They arrived in this village, quarter to nine. They're running to find where to sleep, where to stay and everything. They go 9 p.m. They don't have a place where to stay. They're on the streets, okay? The police see them. They arrest them. Until the morning. They say, well, you're arrested until the morning. In the morning, we'll check your documents and see who you are and we'll let you go. So they're put in a big cell with mattresses all around, okay? And in the cell, there are Jews and Gentiles, 
innocent people, real criminals, robbers, thieves, whatever. And in the middle of the room is the washroom, the, the toilet in the middle of the room. Which means you can't daven, you can't pray, you can't say kriyachma, nothing, okay? So they're in this room with all these people on these mattresses around in this big cell. And Rav Limelech is sad. Rav Zusha asked, because Rav Zusha was always the happy one. Rav Zusha, the older brother, was always the happy one. He, he said to his brother, Rav Limelech, my brother, my brother, why, why are you so sad? He said, look, I can't dive in. I can't learn. This is worse than Gainam. I can't do anything here. And Rav Zusha says, just the opposite. Adrava, just the opposite. You should be so happy that you're finally getting to do a mitzvah in this format. What format? The halacha says that when you're in such a situation, such a predisposition that you can't say a bracha, can't dove and can't say shema because of a situation of a toilet in front of you, the lacha says, you say in your heart, I want to do your will, but the situation does not allow me to do so. So, Hashem, let it be considered your will as if I did it, ki'ilu. And the lacha says that this ki'ilu, this as if, gives the word as if you did it. My brother, Mr. Super Duper Perfect Tzaddik, Ravili Melech, you never missed in your life a Ma'ariv in a Kriyat Shema. You should be so happy you're doing the mitzvah like this. And he grabbed his hands and he started dancing. La, 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 and they started dancing. And all the inmates are looking at these two Jews, they're cracking up. What, you know, what, what, is, what is this? They saw that everybody's looking at them. They decided to grab their hands and they made a giant circle around the toilet dancing. The warden hears the noise of the music coming from the, from the cell. What is this? What's going on? They said, it's because of the toilet. He said, oh really? He opened the door. He took out the toilet. The stench left. Rav Zusha told Melech, now you can daven. Now you can daven. What's the point? There's something phenomenal here. Is that the simcha that they had created the solution that wasn't there in the first place. This would have never happened. Who would have imagined that the warden would take out the toilet so they can, so they can daven? That was the whole problem here. What led to the breakthrough was their joy. Rav Nossin goes into this. This is phenomenal. A person is faced with a dead-end difficulty, a dead-end situation in life. It's, a, well, it's for sure a divorce, chas shalom. It's a, it's a, what's it called? It's a fatal type of cancer, chas shalom. Bad news that makes the person say, okay, it's over, it's over, it's over, you know, it's finished, whatever. What, what's to live for more, what to do for more. This child is off the path, he's never going to get back, I tried all this. Or a person is trying to lose weight for 50 years, it's never going to happen, I tried, and this and that. Anything, a person's trying and trying, and he's just so weighed down from the frustration, the hechalat murot, the exchange chambers, that the person, chas shalom, gives in. Rav Nosen says, you got to ASAP, work on simcha. Because what does a simcha do? What does the verse read that we said from Isaiah? Ki besimcha tetzeu. This verse, the pshat is on the future redemption. That when Mashiach comes and all the Jews come back from Woodmere back to Eretz Yisrael, we come back with singing and music. You don't have to have the concert there. Where we have the concert? Eight, what's it called? Eight, uh, whatever you call it. Okay, we'll have a bigger eight day. We'll have the ninth day concert coming with Mashiach, okay? That's in the pshat. Ki besimcha for um, with, with joy you will come out. In other words, Mashiach will come and accompanying the, re- the redemption will be joy. Rav Nosen re-reads the verse like this. Ki besimcha through prerequisite joy tetzeu, you will come out. Of what? Of anything. Rav Nosen, I'm, I'm having goosebumps saying this, but Rav Nosen says this about four or five times and he says it with such confidence. You get out of anything. Tetzeu from everything. You're stuck in life, and no one has given you an alternative, an, op- an option, what to do. They say, I don't want to tell you. We raise our hands, we don't want to tell you nothing, you know. 
It's funny. The expression is they raise their hands. We just spoke about raising your hands empty, right? <coughs> they raise their hands and that, that brings down the, the curses. That brings down when you raise your hands empty, empty-handed, right? The, 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 there's an X from every corner. Chaser Shalom. Every, every corner you take is an X. What last chance, last resort do I have to make an opening? It's to act silly and be happy. People think you're nuts. You're, you're about to die in this night. You're, you're cracking up. He says, yes, because this is what's going to open up for me. This is the one thing that's left that can open up for me in my life, an opening that wasn't there. Like Rav Zusha, the opening came. This also, Simcha is so, so, so needed to help a person. You see that in life. It's, it's phenomenal. I don't know about you guys, but I've seen this a lot. That You're in a difficult situation and you're crying out to Hashem. It's Hashem, just give me a sign. Give me an indication that you love me. I'm going to do my best. I'm going to try to be a good person. But just show me that you love me and I'll accept whatever you send me my way. But just show me a sign. And you work on being happy. All of a sudden, a phone call from a friend all the way in Australia and this. What's going on, brother? And this and this and that. He says, you know, I have a person you can speak to. It's like Hashem heard what, you, what, you're, what you're going through. He sees your strength to try to be B'Simcha. He sends you an opening that you didn't even know about. It comes your way. It comes your way. Ki besimcha tetzeu. This is what Rabbi Shubin Hananya said. We have the way to tap into the infinite light. And we need that, by the way. Every Jew, he says, Rabbi Nachman, quoting the Zohar, that it's the tendency of a person to run after light. The classic example is Har Sinai. Har Sinai, Hashem told Moshe Benu twice, Hagbele ta'am, I want you to corner off the Jewish people. Why? Rashi says, explains, when they see this intense experience of Hashem coming down Har Sinai, it's the normal tendency of any human being just to drop everything and run. Whoa! You see a big light, it's the tendency to see to see to run towards it. So Hashem warned Moshe Rabbeinu, I know that's going to happen, but that's not the way to perceive Hashem. Because we know if you keep on running towards the light, what's going to happen? You're going to disappear, disintegrate. If a Jew just goes after the light without what's called a break, like a bounce, he will disappear. A bounce is needed for, for this light, okay? But now to properly have a bounce, a bounce and to properly perceive the infinite light, this requires joy. The joy that a person builds up when he gets to this bounce, which is inevitable, his taking the bounce back properly is determined by his simcha that he started off with. When a Jew is happy, and he appreciates what Hashem gives him. And he doesn't assume, oh, I'm I deserve this. It's, it's understood. So I'm not going to be appreciated. I'm just going to keep on trying to advance and advance and not take a break to appreciate this person. When he has a smash, he cracks totally. Why? Because we see, we see the final result of the person was already determined from their initial activity. We see from a person's attitude of humility, and joy and, and appreciation to what Hashem has given him, this, this brushes off. We see the payoff to this when he has a bounce back, that he's able to take it properly. And more than this, when a person visits Hashem, does that properly, he then perceives the infinite light. This is what Rabbi Shubin Khanani was telling them. They asked him, how can a person perceive the infinite light? He said like this, this is the way. Even though it's impossible to perceive Hashem, there's this concept that a person learns so much more from the pushback in life than the forward. You know, we assume, you know, I'm going to invest in Torah and Kedusha and davening and go up and up and up and up and up and up. 
what builds a person more than anything else is the challenge sent to him to push him back, how he accepts it. A person in that scenario perceives something that even a person were to learn all day for a million years, he wouldn't get this light like he does in accepting properly the bounce back. We need both. We need to learn Torah, but know how to handle the challenges. This is what they asked him. How can a person perceive the infinite light? It's impossible. It's 180 degrees opposite. This world is this world. Infinite light is something higher. And it's the tendency of people to run to connect to infinite light, even though they can't reach it. In the Zohar, it's called mate, vilamate. Reaching, but not reaching. You're really touching, but you're not touching. You're in, but you're really not in. You're really out. It's in and out. And in this format, you can perceive Hashem and Yiddishkeit and Emunah at the highest of levels. This is something phenomenal. That a Jew through his attitude and his daily challenges in life, can perceive Hashem at the highest of levels and know his goal in life and advance more and more and more and more. This is what Rabbi Nachman opens up on this tiny discourse, and Rav Nossin, uh, this challenge, sorry, and how Rav Nossin opens it up that the key here is the simcha, to do everything to be happy. His advice that he gave here is to borrow the simcha, okay, to borrow from the future. But now, Fine and dandy, we give a nice class, everything is like theoretical. How in the world did you want me to borrow happiness from the future? Okay? This is hinted to in what Rabbi Shobin Hananya did. He raised his finger. Question. Why did he have to why did he have to illustrate it? Why did the Gemara say? And he raised his finger. Let Rabbi Shobin Hananya just say to the concept of the hands, why does the Gemara say? And he raised his finger to show us that it's Dafka. The fingers of the tzaddikim, Rabbi Shimon Hanai, is our tzaddik here that we're talking about tonight. He's the complete tzaddik that we're referring to. It's the hands of the tzaddikim who are doing this pursuit of the infinite light, etc., which for us sounds like beyond our grasp. But their light is what we need to draw upon ourselves simcha and our daily challenges. Meaning what? That yes, you need a tzaddik in your life. You need a tzaddik in your life. You can't just be an art school Jew. I have my art school Gemara, art school Chumash, art school Seder. I have my Shul. I have my daily Seder. And I have my Shabbos Minyan. And that's my life. And we have the, the, the weekly sermon or the weekly drasha and everything. And that's it. And then you're facing your daily challenges and you're not making it. You need a tzaddik. The tzaddik, his idea is that he shines his light of simcha, his, his light, light meaning he has attained simcha, into each and every one of us. With all this said, and it's a lot of concepts, I now present to you, here at Sound, it should work out, the 40-day challenge to give each and every one of you an opportunity for something to experience. Everything we spoke about tonight, everything from A to Z, is a development of one of Rabbi Nachman's most fascinating lessons, Lesson 24, which I mentioned at the beginning of the class. Okay? How, a little bit about Likuti Moran, how Rabbi Nachman's teachings works is something a bit amazing. The more you learn this book, the more you learn a lesson, the more you begin to activate it in your life. Meaning, you begin to see changes and things popping up that did not take place beforehand, coming to life as soon as you learn a lesson. Okay? On one hand, I can ex explain it, but you have to experience it in order to more relate to it. This, is, this may be true about the entire Torah. This can be true about learning Gemara and Chumash, and, 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 and Mishnah, and etc. But the average Jew doesn't have that access. Tzadikim, yes. You know, it says about Tzadikim, Ene Hashem, 
El Tzadikim. The Tzadikim have, Rabbi Nachman interprets like this, Eina Hashem Tzadikim, the Tzadikim have the eyes of Hashem. The Tzadikim have these X-ray eyes that the whole Torah has opened up in front of them. They can only daf yomi shir, and they see how it's connected to what's happening today in their life. We don't see that. We know the Gemara shir or a nice thing, and you go back to your regular life, mundanity. You don't see the connection. Rabbi Nachman's teachings stick out in this area, in that the more you learn it, anyone, the more you connect to it, and 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 you try to in, uh, inculcate and absorb, internalize the concepts you begin to see them coming to life right in front of your eyes. However, that's klali, that's in general. I need now a particular prat. It's like, for example, someone worked very, very hard many years to buy a specific medication. person had like a, a wound on his left arm, let's say, and there was like a type of a special cream that cost like $500, and the person like had to work very hard a few months to finally get 500 bucks, and he finally bought the medication. He's happy to have the medication. But Mr. Mr. Bozo, if you don't apply it to the wound, it's okay. You have you bought the you bought the medication, but apply it to where it needs to be applied. Great, you have it. Okay, but do something with it. The second stage to apply it on what's called in in Torah we have what's called klal uprat, general and in particular. The Kutimuran how it works. Rabbi Nachman's teachings because he takes them from such a high place and he brings them down to the average layman. It's 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 it's, uh, it's being activated. But now I need to refine its direction to the right place. This is what's called la'asot mitorot tfilot. To turn Torah lessons into prayers. Just to saber to, to, to give you just an example. I think the, the Gemara, the Midrash says like this. We have the five books of Moses. The Chamisha, Chumshe Torah. And King David wrote five books of Tehillim. Why five? The five books of Tehillim correspond to the five books of Moshe Rabbeinu. What does that mean? That King David's pleas and supplications and entreaties to Hashem in the book of Tehillim is to fulfill what's written in the five books of the Chumash. Okay? There's no other book. I'm quoting here of Chaim Kramer, so you can turn to him about this. There's no other big book in the world of Judaism, in the world of Torah, that has prayers written on them, except for the Chumash, and Rabbi Nachman's Likutei Moran. There's a book under the instruction and guidance and encouragement of Rabbi Nachman, written by Rav Nachman's main disciple, Rav Nosin, where he wrote prayers on the lessons in Likutei Moran. These prayers are not regular prayers. They're prayers based on these lessons, which means what? That anybody who opens these prayers with a sincere perspective, can find themselves immediately, instantly in these prayers. It's not like you're just saying, tell him you have no idea what you're saying, or you're saying, Shachar, you have no idea what you're saying. These prayers come out to you. They come out to you. All you have to do is just recite them, say them, and they begin to open you up. Prayer, Rabbi Nachman teaches, is what finalizes the application. This is hinted to what Perkevot says. Perkevot says like this, Someone whose wisdom is greater than his deeds. What is it compared to? A tree that has many, many branches, but a very thin stemmed trunk. A tiny wind comes and it blows down the tree because it's not strong enough. But a person now has a lot of ma'asim and he may have a little bit of Torah, but what is it compared to? A tree that has a very, very strong trunk stem, 
All the winds, and it may have a few branches, but all the winds in the world will come and blow on it. You can't knock it down. The Ma'asim, Rav Nosan explains, is where we turn, we redecipher the Torah in prayer format. You turn the Torah ideas, you learn ideas, and now I want to re-express it in prayer format. Rabbi Nachman says, Rabbi Nosan explains this idea, this, this, uh, this action, this activity, brings a person to the highest possible levels. It's phenomenal. Okay? We present to you a 40-day challenge to try, taste this lesson for the sake of activating Simcha, Bezat Hashem. Try this lesson, lesson 24, for 40 days in a special format designed that it's not too much overburdening with Rav Nossin's prayer on the lesson. Why 40 days? We saw last week's parasha, Moshe Rabbeinu was able to activate forgiveness. He said, I didn't sleep for 40 days, I didn't eat for 40 days and 40 nights. And at the end of 40 days, which is coming up, Rosh Chodesh Elu, Hashem said, Salachti Kitvarecha, I forgive, let's start again. New tablets, second tablets, okay? Meaning, 40 days is a number unit that can make a change. That's why Rav Nosen once said, the best way to get something moving in life is to daven for it for 40 days, okay? We, uh, we present you a 40-day challenge of learning this lesson to activate it and then to daven about it. However, since the Likutei Moran is a deep book, because Rabbi Nachman, how he works is he brings an idea, a concept, and then he brings immediately verses or Gemaras or Midrashim or Zorah to back it up. And the average person can get lost and sidetracked while he's learning the lesson because he's always looking up the sources and the cross-referencing and he forgets the point. Rabbi Nachman himself, because of this, instructed Rav Nosen, I want you, he told Rav Nosen in about the year 1808, 1807, he said, I want you to take all the practical points in every lesson and arrange it in just practical format. Point form, what comes out of the lesson. This is what's called the Kitsur Likute Moran, the abridged Likute Moran, which has the same potency of the Likute Moran. By just learning the ideas, understanding them, absorbing them, you begin to activate them as much as the Likute Moran. We have pre pre prepared a PDF, two PDF files, one with the entire lesson in the bridge of the with English translation. You have the Hebrew and English, plus the prayer of Nosson's prayer, Hebrew and English, and a second PDF file of the 40-day structure. What to say every day? It's not. It made it that it shouldn't be burdening. It's it gets bigger and then it gets smaller and smaller for 40 days. A challenge. Try to experience Rabbi Nachman on the first time at this level. You may have known Rabbi Nachman as books, as encouragement. Ah, he wrote some in commentary from Rabbi Nachman. And I get some encouragement in Simcha. This is a therapy. This is a healing to go to the root, to bring in true Simcha in your life. Here at Son, you can, you can um, contact me after the class or whatever. If you want afterwards, I have a... I know it's being recorded, but I'll give you my email address. You can give you the PDF. It's Breast Love Therapy. B-R-E-S-L-O-V Therapy at gmail.com or by WhatsApp 732, it's a Lakewood number, 732-800-1863. We'll be f very happy to share with you the PDF files. And it's my wish that this light spreads in the world. Rabbi Nachman, as you've never experienced him, to see him as a healer of the Neshama and how his teachings can bring a deep healing and a lasting one year at Sunday Zat Hashem. We have questions, yes. I'll just get some water with your permission. Yeah. <coughs> Father had a custom uh, until she died, 
I can raise the hands. Um, right. Yeah, are there a specific cover note? Um, you talked about the to perceive the infinite Hashem's infinite life through yeah. Simcha. Specific cover notes when, when raising the hands that. before washing. Yeah. Rabbi Nachman says that explicitly in I think Likutei Moran. He says a Jew should have in mind when he's raising his hands to say Anit Tzadayim Suudacham Kodesh that he's actually drawing down holiness. You should have in mind that you're actually drawing down holiness. If you contact me afterwards, I'll try to find you the exact source. You can see it for yourself inside. Visit the shed. Very possible. Yeah. All right. Thank you for coming. And I hope everyone got something out of it on a practical level. Because we're giving a class. It's not just to give a share and then you go back home and you go to another day. It's what you can take with you. And I tried to do something that you can take with you for 40 days. <laughs> Give it a shot. Be in touch with me if you want. If there's questions that pop up. If you miss a day or what happens if this and that. I'm out of it. We can, we can develop that. Thank you for joining. Recording stopped. Turn that off please.